Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number five. Welcome to the Wet Podcast, writing, education, and technology. I am your host, Eric Marshall. You can find me on the web at ericmarshall.net. That's E-R-I-K, Marshall with two L's, dot net. You can find the show notes uh, for any of the episodes at ericmarshall.net slash wet. And you can also find me on Twitter at eMarsh, and you can find the show on Twitter at Wet Podcast. Today I have uh, Kim Lacey. She is an assistant professor at Saginaw Valley State University. Uh, We have a really good discussion about uh, technology when it comes to teaching, uh, composition, rhetoric, literature, and things like that. It's a really great conversation about uh, some online tools that Kim uses and the, her approaches to teaching and kind of uh, teaching and research in general in, in this day and age. So uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a really good conversation. I'm going to keep this intro short today. Uh, so you can check out the show notes once again at ericmarshall.net. This is episode number five with Kim Lacey, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I'm really bad about this intro stuff, so I have to do that. So, ready? Ready. I have with me Kim Lacey of Saginaw Valley State University. Hi, everyone. Hey, I want to just say one thing. The listeners cannot see this, but Kim has behind her this incredible bookshelf. It's a set of bookshelves, and it's um, basically – I'm going to do this at home. The, the spines are arranged basically Roy G. Biv. It's yeah. right. Yeah. So you've got, like, on the top left, all is red and orange, and then um, <laughs> and then it, it kind of goes to yellow and green, and then the next shelf is all blue. It's really cool. Yeah. I never thought to do that. I'm totally going to do that when I – I saw it online once, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. It was not my idea, but I needed yeah, something. I only ever look for books. I'm like, I know it's a blue book. It's like, <laughs> organize them like that. Yeah. So. I know all my books by the spines. All right? of them. I know. I, yeah, I know exactly what I'm looking at. I can, I can take my glasses off and look across the room and know what book it is. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. Or if I see it on somebody else's shelf, I'm like, oh, that's that. Yep. Yep. Okay. It's perfect. It, it works perfectly. <laughs> Uh, so, um, I know Kim from graduate school. We went to grad school together. So we go way back, way, way back. And, um, you, when did you defend your dissertation? I defended in 2011. Okay. So you were about one year behind me. I think almost a year to the day. I think so too. Yeah. Cause I remember you defended in March, right? March, March or April. You're March 30th, 2000. 11, I was March 31st, 2010. Oh, okay. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. Almost to the day. One year apart. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Aren't our birthdays really close together, too? Yeah. May 30th, and yours is the, the 11th, isn't it? Yeah, June. Yeah. We're both Geminis, too. Crazy. <laughs> so um, so we're about a year apart. You graduated. Uh, you defended a year behind me, right? Mm-hmm. And you and that was on pace because you started just a little bit um, – Maybe two years after me, you were a little faster than I was. I but started um, in, yeah, oh five. 
Oh, well, never mind then. <laughs> you started way after me. I was really slow. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Oh, that's so embarrassing. But you finished. Um, but I finished, yeah. And, and you it. were, when I met you, you were originally thinking about doing literature as your, uh, as your, as your thing. And you wisely, I think, switched over to composition and rhetoric, right? Yes. Yeah, I did yeah. come in doing literature and then I switched. Yeah. And I say wisely, and we'll probably get into this a little bit, because um, as far as uh, getting jobs go, uh, composition and rhetoric is a much, much, uh, how should I put it, more in demand field. At least it was at the time, right? Yeah. 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 Yes. So, right. And so you are an assistant professor at Saginaw Valley State University. That I am. Yeah. I've been yeah. here. It's my fourth year. It's your fourth year. So you should be coming up for tenure pretty soon. This is my pre-tenure year, which is weird. I'll bet. So yeah, fifth year, <laughs> tenure in the fifth year here at Saginaw. Okay, okay. And uh, where is Saginaw Valley? Uh, Mid-Michigan. Um, it's located, uh, I don't know, about two hours north of Detroit, I'd say. Uh, so you are, you're in the pre-tenure year at, at Saginaw Valley, and, you teach, and you're in the composition and rhetoric. Is it a program? Uh, well, composition um, here is part of the first year, or is part of the English department, and so the rhetoric um, we have a separate rhetoric and professional writing department that used to be affiliated with the English department, but they broke off before I got here. So I mostly teach within the English department, and then the writing courses are broken down from there. Okay, is it like uh, the rhetoric one? The the other department is that uh, more like a business writing or professional writing or? Yeah, it's mostly the other department is mostly um, yeah professional writing, business writing. Um, they do a lot of work with um, mixed media stuff as well. So it's oh, kind okay. of really they're really trying to gear it towards what the students will be doing when they get out of here, as opposed to like print journalism. They're really focusing on like digital products and stuff. So. Oh, okay. Okay. That's great. And so in your department, um, now you do a lot of digital stuff as well, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. And I try to bring it into all my courses. Yeah. That's why you were one of the very first person, people, persons, people <laughs> that I uh, <laughs> contacted about this podcast when it came to me. I was, but cause I know you do a lot of stuff with digital media in your, in your composition classes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I do. So for example, like over the summer, I, well, I taught an online course, but in that course, we use Storify mm -hmm. to actually, you know, build this one project. And so it was pretty cool. It was really, um, Storify, I don't know, if, I mean, I think you're familiar with it, but just, it's just kind I of am. a... I don't know if my audience is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a site that allows you to pull different um, texts, be it videos, websites, um, articles, images, whatever, into one location. So you're basically making kind of like your own little newspaper or, or newsletter, in a sense. And so that was really good for my students to actually go out and find all these different types of sources on um, one of their topics and really pull them in together so they could actually look at how they kind of engage with each other in a visual format as opposed to like, oh, okay, I printed out this article, I've got to write about it. Okay, so we get to see what everybody else is saying, like on the screen, as opposed to just nothing else. Right. So you use it to kind of help them uh, organize their research, and and it's kind of more visual too, right? Than than just having a bunch of articles laying around, right? Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, they, we did a lot of video work with that, so that was really neat to kind of have the text right in there with the video. And I should say, with Storify, you're able to add 
um, writing in there. So there was a writing component. So the students had to find the different uh, sources, like, like I said, video, text, different things. But they also had to comment on that. So you could see like a video embedded, and they would have a lot of commentary about it in their own writing. So it was neat to see both of those together. It was like clicking back and forth, I would say. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is cool. That is cool. So it helps them organize their thought and express themselves and do some critical analysis or uh, critical work in ways that are not just writing a paper. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that they take to it really well? They do. Uh, I have a feeling, and I only have anecdotal evidence for this, and it would be really interesting. I want to extend this into like a research project. But the way that they're constructing stories using things like Storify, they – they jump on it so quickly because I think that they're just used to doing that with, you know, be it Tumblr or Instagram or mm-hmm. Twitter or whatever. So they, they know how to comment and they know how to integrate their own ideas into those types of stories that are already happening visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a really easy way to kind of shift this into academic mode by using Storify for that type of project. So, yeah, they grasp onto it really fast. Yeah, really there's this. That's great. Yeah, I think there's a certain not necessarily drag and drop, but there's a it's kind of a pastiche, right? Where they're 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 grabbing a bunch of stuff and they can talk about it individually and kind of more holistically as well, which is which is great. Which is something that maybe they'll need to know how to do in the world, right? I completely agree. Yeah, and it's been really helpful in that sense because at least they have a you know something that they can like send a link out if they yeah. need anything for a portfolio or something. They have that ready to roll. Do you have them publish it publicly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there's a, so there's that too. Right yeah, there. there's that. None of them. Surprisingly, there hasn't been any comments on anything. I've left comments on their stuff. I don't know if they read them, but, but um, they haven't had anything. Anybody comment on anything? Right. Right. Um, but I think it's good to do the public thing because it. it I don't want to say it holds them accountable, but it gives them a different sense of uh, audience, I guess, rather than just, oh, this is for Kim Lacey, you know, for the 15 weeks I'm in her class, and that's it, right? They might still have that attitude, but at least there's something else. There might be in the back of their head something else going on. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I had a thing once. This is just uh, back at Wayne. Um, I had them do blogs. So this is before Spot, uh, Spotify, before Storify or Scoop It um, and stuff like that. This is, you know, Blogger and whatever. And I had them each do a blog, and we talked about the public audience. And what I found was at the time, a lot of them just did the paper they would have written anyway and just throw it up there and ignore it kind of. Exactly, yeah. You know? But I did have an incident where I did get one of my students got a lot of comments. I think I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, and it was um, this guy. Um, what was his name? Some conservative um, uh, radio personality uh, from the West Coast started commenting on one of my students' blogs in particular, uh, kind of kind of attacking her in a way. And she was, she came to class. She's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do about this. Because what we were talking about, we were talking about a David Foster Wallace uh, essay uh, from Consider the Lobster. I can't remember the essay, but um, and, and she was unprepared, and so we had to talk about that in class. And then I contacted the guy, and he commented on my blog, and he wanted to come talk to the class. He wanted me to like uh, Skype him in or something to to talk to the class and to have a rebuttal against what we were talking about. It was crazy. Oh, that's very yeah. Did you yeah. bring him? In? No, I um, 
I asked the class what they wanted to do. We'd already moved on to another unit and other readings, and I asked them, I said, if you want to, I can try to arrange this. It's up to you. And they were like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was one of those, like, uh, conservatives in the sense of, like, higher education is full of liberals. It's uh, liberal <laughs> media and all that stuff, and that's how it would have been. I think he wanted to show his side. I'm like, you know, you got a radio show. You can, you know. Blath around all you want, so I can't remember his name. It's on my blog. If anyone wants to go to ericmarshall.net and search through my blog, it's I, it's up there somewhere. I wrote it. I wrote it up. But <laughs> so that's a fear, I guess. But it's also kind of exciting because there's a sense of engagement, right? It is, but I think and again because nobody engaged with my students on their storefies. But I think if that were to happen now, I think it almost would be like they would take it in stride because again, there's there's such. Um, there's like a higher level of competency with knowing how to respond online and whether or not it's, you know, a troll or, or whatever, it's still something that people are used to now. Like they're used to having that possibility of somebody commenting on something. So being accountable, like you were saying earlier, right. for that presence that they have. Right, right. Which is better than, say, being sequestered in a in a LMS, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, where it's just your classmates, mm -hmm. nobody else. There's no public comment or anything like that. You know, this is this is open to the wider world and and incorporates the wider world into it. Yeah, definitely. Do you have you use LMSs there at uh, Saginaw Valley State, like Blackboard or whatever? Yeah, we're switching over right now. Actually, we had Sakai. Well, we still currently have Sakai, um, which is open source, but we're now in the process of switching over to Canvas, mm -hmm. which I love. <laughs> um, as far as LMSs go, I would say. Yeah. Um, we use Canvas at U University of Michigan Dearborn, and it's the best one I've used. Yeah. 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 As far as those things go. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I would right. like not to use one, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you have to. Um, but yeah, so it's much. Um, the one we currently have is really crappy. Mm. <laughs> it's just so clunky, and it's like, oh, it's, you know, 2002. Um, <laughs> nice. So. <laughs> but this is just now one of the things that they're starting to revise. They're like, oh, we should probably, you know, do something about these other technologies that are out there. And there are things. And so, yeah, SKC is finally jumping on board and changing. That's so, good. Yeah. yeah. So I've, been, I've been piloting Canvas. Not all, not all the classes have Canvas yet, but I've been piloting it. So. Well, it's nice to have all your students be able to communicate with them. It's, it's auto-populated with the students and all that stuff. But I feel like you're not going to stop using Storify and things like that, right? No, I'll still use those, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did a similar thing with Scoop It. We had a um, – it's just similar to Storify. Um, I didn't know you could do all that with Storify, actually. The only thing I've ever used it for is to uh, kind of collate Twitter conversations. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've ever done with it. But uh, – <laughs> Uh, but it works for that. It works really well. But um, we use Scoop It, which is very similar. It's an online kind of, you probably know it, um, online place where you can you know, kind of gather materials and comment on them and, and stuff like that. It was a class called Issues in Cyberspace. So we did that, and, and everybody had a Twitter account, and we would communicate via Twitter, and there was like a Twitter list for the, you know, for the class and stuff mm -hmm. like that, trying to get people communicating in public online, but also talking about some of the issues that come with that privacy, for example, um, right. things like that. So do you deal with that stuff in your classes as well? Privacy and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to. Um, one of the things, 
Well, I'm going to kind of switch gears from that course I was using, Storify, into because I teach a gender studies course also. Um, and one of the things that just came up is that my students were really looking for a space where they could share like links about gender stories that they were finding. And this is just the very intro course, like the Gender Studies 100. So it's very, very basic. Um, and so everybody's just starting to learn what you know gender means. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, now we see these. So we want to share all these links that we're seeing in fa on Facebook and stuff. Uh, so we opened a Facebook page. But now what happens is sometimes students are like, I don't know if I want to share this. Can you post this for me? Can you, you know, and so it's this interesting mm -hmm. thing. Like, I don't know if I feel comfortable sharing this because I don't know if like I want my friends or my parents to know I'm posting that, you know? So it's, and it's not that they're struggling with identity, but it's just, it's something new to them and they, maybe they don't feel comfortable talking about it yet or are competent enough to talk about it yet. And that's okay. And I, you know, and I'll post those links for them. So, in that sense, privacy is kind of a different sense of the term, like that we would usually think of. But it—I've never had that happen before in a class where that students have been really protective of, like, I don't want people to know that I'm doing this. Can you do it for me? Oh, so, that's interesting. It's really—it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm. Like and, I said, it's very new. It's only been going on for about two weeks, so. And it's—it uh, it must be related to the subject matter, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so it could be. And it's not explicit things, but I mean, it's, it's, um, it could be like difficult topics about, you know, violence or, um, different sexualities or things like that. So it's, it's tough for some people to, to talk about that or they don't want to, and that's okay. Yeah. Or maybe they don't want it public. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you enforce a real name policy on their social media or whatever they use, or can they use pseudonyms? They can use pseudonyms. I don't, I don't enforce a real name policy. Yeah, I actually encourage them to use pseudonyms when I do this stuff, but uh, yeah, but still, you don't want like, they're worried about like their family or whoever finding out. It's interesting because uh, in some senses, I guess you look at a classroom as kind of a safe space, right? Yeah. You know, what happens in the classroom, like the physical classroom, is it stays in the classroom more or less, right? You, right. it's it's a public space, but it's 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 also kind of I don't know circumscribed. I guess is that the right word? Probably not, uh, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the right word, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it has a sense of privacy, I guess you could yeah. say, right? Like what happens in the classroom, someone might talk about it, but it, it kind of stays there. And even on a LMS that, you know, you could imagine that being more of a private space where you're not worried about parents stumbling on stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, mm -hmm. um, so when you open it up to the world, you're, you're, that's one of the trade-offs maybe, right? Is that you're, you're taking away or you're kind of mitigating some of that safety that they might feel. Yeah. Right. But, but helping them become aware of like, how do you present yourself online? Yeah. And so, it, and again, that's something, you know, by them, I have no problem with them emailing me like, can you post this? I think this is really interesting. But then also it's like, how do we go back to that? Like this issue of accountability for what you do post online or maybe the importance of pseudonyms, you know, trying to um, shift the conversation in that direction. It's haven't gotten there yet with this class, but I can no. see it heading in that direction really soon because yeah. there, have been, there have been quite a few incidents of that. So I'm just, um, it sounds like yeah. there's a real, real, uh, opportunity in this class for yeah. some really productive conversations about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really, I, Actually, talking with you right now makes me think like how immediate that conversation needs to be. 
mm-hmm. uh, especially because you know students or not students, but you know people of their age deal with a lot of ha- like harassment and stuff online, and so that would be you know an important thing to discuss, and perhaps that they they've had harassment in their past and are afraid of you know posting because of that. Um, and then again, going into those names or using um, pseudonyms and preferred names and things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely want to have that conversation with them like next week. Yeah, <laughs> it's happen. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like, and that's something that you certainly don't have in your syllabus, right? No. Yeah, you hadn't planned on it, right? No. We're in week five, I think, right? I don't know if you guys are, but I think we're at uh, six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're early in the semester. You're mm-hmm. at semester system, right? In that quarter system. Yeah. yeah. So do it now. Set the stage for the rest of the semester, and right. it could be a very productive uh, conversation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, we added the Facebook page later because the students were wanted someplace to share stuff, and so that wasn't even part of the course until a couple weeks ago. And so yeah. then this is really all just developed over the last week or two. Oh, that's great. So the gender studies course is that uh, is that in the like so you're I'm trying to figure out this. Well, most English departments just for like my, the audience for this podcast is a lot of academics, but also uh, like writers and you know uh, readers and you know people who maybe aren't. So I, I I try to explain. I may over explain sometimes, but most English departments are divided between you know you think of literature when you think of English, and there's usually a literature component, but there's usually a composition component and they're usually separate and the composition program is usually the where the real money maker right because at most places that's the class that every college student takes yes. right yeah. and then very often like at Wayne State uh, the film department was in the English department uh-huh. or the film program was in the English department so sometimes you get that linguistics things like that right mm-hmm. um, so you're in the comp right so is the gender studies thing is that part of the comp uh, composition and rhetoric comp right program? No, what it is, um, the way our English department set up is we have, yeah, just like you were saying, we have literature, composition, creative writing, and um, teacher education. Okay. Um, but gender studies is just a minor, uh, and so it's not really housed in any department. Ah. <laughs> and so it's free-floating, and so they just, they use faculty from different departments. Uh, we go through the catalog and kind of see which um, courses um, focus on gender, so for example, we have stuff from like social work, we have stuff from poli-sci, um, different courses from history, all sorts of departments across campus. Uh, and so different professors will teach those courses and that will count towards the gender studies minor. Um, the only course that is technically a gender studies course is the one I'm teaching, which is gender studies 100. And it's the only required course for the, um, for the minor. Uh, and so there's really just a number of rotating faculty who teach that course. Um, so it's not housed anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. I just got into it because I was just very interested. I've always have been interested in gender stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's cool. So it's it's a program. It's a minor, but it's cross cross discipline. It is, and it, and of course that brings its own problems as well because no one has ownership over over it, and so it really takes a lot of effort to make sure it continues and to make sure that it's a viable. Um, Education. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we don't know how often the courses are going to be taught. You know, so it, it, the students are kind of free floating. A lot of them do independent studies instead. So it's it's getting bad. <laughs> it's in flux, maybe. Right? It is. Yeah. 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 But it's good that you have the opportunity to teach that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's been fun. 
Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Uh, speaking of fun classes, um, <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered this. Uh, you, I saw this on Facebook uh, where we're friends. Uh, you are teaching a, something about drugs? <laughs> yeah, to clarify, yeah, <laughs> I'm teaching a literature course, um, uh, Drug Culture in 20th Century Fiction. Uh, and so we're tracing the development of um, the idea of drugs being used as you know, a, a backdrop, or really actually the main force of the novel. So, for example, we've read Junkie, like William um, William Burroughs, and then uh, we read part of uh, Tom Wolfe's Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. We just finished up, uh, <laughs> we just finished up uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which was, I mean, it's, it is one of my favorite books, but I just, my students loved it so much. It was one of those, like, yes! So I was so nervous because I love the book. So teaching it, you know, like they hate it. This is going to be, you know, it's going to kind of bring me down. But no, they thought it was hilarious and fun. And um, with it, we're, we're going to read a scanner darkly, um, American Psycho, and a couple other things for the rest of the semester. So we're really focusing on um, Requiem for a Dream is another one we'll be reading. How like the idea of drugs either influences or um, changes the perspective of the culture of that time. So I don't know if that makes sense too much. It's right a, now, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It sounds great. I would totally take that class if I were it's an undergraduate. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 The only part is that anytime I feel ditzy, I feel paranoid that they're going to be like, is she dr a druggie? And I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> you know? Like, so I'm always constantly thinking, like, stop. <laughs> is she on drugs now? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that being a problem. <laughs> and then the more paranoid I become, the worse the problem gets. And I'm like, Ugh, it's a never-ending cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. Well, it's none of their business anyway. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah, because so. I don't ask them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's great. So that's a literature class. Yeah, that sounds great. Did you did you design the class? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate just by luck of the draw to be able to teach a couple literature courses since I've been here. And it, it's helped because like you said, I started the PhD program as a literature um, student. And so that was a good portion of my graduate studies anyway. Um, so I've taught like detective fiction um, and this course, is the, those are the two lit courses that I've been able to teach. So it's been Detective fun. fiction. That sounds fun yeah. too. That's great. Yeah. It's nice to get to teach literature. Uh, because yeah, because when I met you, like I said, you were a literature, you were in in the literature yeah. segments of the of the grad program where I was in the film part, film and yeah. media. Um, and then you decided to change. What made you decide to change? Was it just a a canny business decision to uh, you know because you needed to get a job, or was it? <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of both. I think. Um, I think I made the change in oh seven or oh eight. I want to say. I mean, shortly before I finished coursework. And so in the way the PhD programs are set up, just maybe I'll over-explain too. <laughs> um, usually I just take about, I don't know what, usually do three or four years of coursework, three years mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, about that. Yeah, um, and then you do all your um, exams afterwards. And so I was really close to the end of all my graduate coursework before I decided, before I took this one course um, that really changed my perspective. I took um, Jeff Prufnick's course Wow, I can't even remember the name of it now. But anyway, I took the, I took his course, and it really 
I was really interested because we focused a lot on um, technology and how the body uh, influences technology and vice versa and the impact of, t of technology on the body. And it was kind of stuff I was interested in um, in terms of like the gender studies stuff that I was doing in the literature side anyway. And so that helped me make that change. Also, I made the change, you know, because I was like, well, then I can still do this stuff with this, you know, with this focus. So it was a nice mashup. Um, plus it was also, you know, obviously a great marketing move, <laughs> you yeah. know, just to be able to be on the market with, there are, there are a lot of, you know, rec comp jobs and yeah. that is fortunate. <laughs> yeah. So. I remember when you switched, I remember talking about it and uh, I remember, I don't know if I told you this at the time, but I remember thinking it was probably a pretty good idea, <laughs> you know, I mean, part of Part of me probably felt like you were betraying the rest of us or something, you know, by going over to the, you know. It's true, though. That's, I mean, that betrayal is, was one of the reasons why it was really difficult to switch. Because yeah. I remember, like, feeling, then I felt like a fraud because, you know, I was, like, I was accepted into the program on the basis of literature, and here mm -hmm. I am, you know, switching gears in the, right in the middle of grad school. Like, what is happening? So, yeah, yeah I did feel a little... Like I was betraying a certain <laughs> group or something. Yeah, it's weird because I mean you weren't obviously. I mean it's all you know, it's all it's all related. You know, you're mm -hmm. all in the same department. But at Wayne State, and I think this is probably true in other places, there was a divide at the mm -hmm. time between I think the literature people, the comp people, and then I don't. I think I was the only film graduate student for a long time. So. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, so that didn't matter, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then there were some creative writing people, but they um, weren't doing. I don't think people did creative writing projects as for the PhD program. It was no. more masters, no. I think. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but there was this divide. But there was there came a point where for me I I started in right around 2000. Now I started with only a bachelor's degree. Did you have a master's degree or not? Oh, I started with a bachelor's. You start with a bachelor's as well. So, um, and at the in the early 2000s, I was seeing a lot of my friends and the people who were a couple of years, well, supposed to be a couple of years ahead of me, ended up being many years ahead of me uh, for various reasons. At any rate, the people ahead of me were getting jobs. Um, they weren't necessarily getting jobs in places they wanted to go, but they were getting jobs. And some of them were getting multiple offers. This is in literature. Um, but as the years went by and I got to my prospectus and all that stuff, I noticed that people were on the market longer and longer and people were not getting offers in lit. But in composition, they were people were getting jobs like it was nothing. You know, they were getting multiple, multiple offers, getting jobs right out the gate. People were getting jobs without even finishing their dissertations, which is at that time completely unreal. Yeah, yeah. Unre unrealistic for literature um, and and I learned later film people uh -huh. um, because uh, the, the market dried up, the job market did for everybody except composition people at that time. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, you were smart to do that, uh, you know, and you're doing something you love, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so who cares, right? <laughs> but, um, right. yeah, but you did a good job, you know, and for me, uh, you know, the film market dried up as well. Um, if I had finished more quickly I might have had a better chance on the market initially you know but whatever it's who knows who cares um, but yeah I kept watching the comp people the comp people finished faster and got jobs more quickly and I think yeah. it was a completely different philosophy on the composition side at Wayne I think this is true in a lot of places where it's just like get done get a job and then you know start writing 
mm-hmm. in teaching, right? So yeah, it's a, it's a wise decision. I I don't know what the job market's like now for composition and rhetoric. I imagine it's probably still pretty strong. Yeah, it's still pretty strong, but it's um, but now now that there are more comprep programs because the higher you know they want more grad students to teach more composition courses, and so they're you know accept accepting more more students, and so there's an influx of composition PhDs on the back end. So that's really affecting it. So it's kind of going through the same thing, you know, like literature and film has gone through. So now there are a ton of composition and rhetoric graduates, not nearly enough jobs. Uh, And that's not exclusive to, you know, academia, but it's happening more frequently now with Comprette. I could, I could see that. So there are more programs and they need someone to to teach those classes, right? I mean, there's, there's a labor issue as well. Exactly, right. yeah. And so graduate students teach a lot of the lower level comp classes at most places, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, adjuncts as well. Yeah. And a lot of times the graduate students become adjuncts after after finishing because there there are no jobs. But since you have more graduate students, that means you have more PhDs and then, you know, there's a supply and demand issue basically. Exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I thought about switching to comp at some point during graduate school uh, because I was like, well, for the same reason that you did, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, but that means I have to teach composition the rest of my life. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it doesn't really mean that, and that's really not a very nice thing to say, but, you know, because there's a lot more to, I mean, there's the rhetoric side as well. There's a lot more, yeah. there's a lot more to, to, to rec comp than, uh, than just like teaching how to write essays and talking about essays and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which brings me to your research. Um, what, what is research like over on your, your side of the, uh, of the tracks? <laughs> over at Saginaw or just me? Uh, for you. I, I think you just got something accepted recently. Yeah, I have um, a couple chapters that were accepted into uh, a couple different editions. Um, one, I wrote about um, the project, the Deer Photograph Project. Uh, and what that is is that that's when people will take photographs from, I don't know, from when they were younger, or maybe they found a photograph of their parents or something, and they'll go back to that exact geographic location and place the photograph right on top of um, the place as it looks now. So you get this nice montage of the old photograph with the new uh, background behind it. So you see a lot of times where, oh, this is the last time I saw you. Um, you know, here's a photograph of when, you know we broke up or this is a photograph of, you know, me and my siblings when we were sitting on our front porch steps, you know, when we were kids and now I go back and the whole house is crumbling and, but here's this one photograph. So I don't know if that makes sense. Cause it's kind of, do they physically go to the place with the photograph? Yeah. They're usually, hmm. cause they'll hold it up. You can, you can almost see, actually, in the instructions for your photograph, it says, make sure your thumb is visible <laughs> so we can see that you are here and how you're lining it up with the background. So if it's, you're looking at, you know, let's say like the, the house, like your childhood house is crumbling, but you bring a picture of you and your siblings sitting on the porch, you would step back enough so that the new, the old porch in the picture would be lined up with the um, crumbling porch. So you can see the old and the new together. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's like, I can't, I can't like look at those pictures without like just breaking down. Um, <laughs> so that was that's um, a project that, uh, that I was working on, and mostly about um, um, temporal affect, thinking about how we react to things after time has passed, and looking at how these new and old 
um, images really are this universal experience for everybody, you know, and, and this idea that something in us calls like this nostalgia to the surface in a way, and the way that that, um, the way that the, like the combination of the old and the new does that or why it's able to do that or how it does that. So. Wow. Yeah. It yeah, sounds it's fascinating. Really yeah. It's a very cool project. I'm, I think it's deerphotograph.com. I, I think it's.com. Um, okay. I'll yeah. look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, that'd be great. yeah it's yep. a really neat, really neat vlog. That is cool. So the project sounds cool, but your, your, uh, your article sounds really cool as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. It just got accepted into a collection and we just got word from uh, university of Alabama press that it's been accepted. So great. Great. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I look, I look forward to, to seeing it. That's, uh, that's cool. Years, I'm sure that'll come out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things, you know. I um, the, the the academic publishing is a weird thing, yeah. you know, and it's um, I, I don't even know where to start. It's first of all, it's glacial pace, <laughs> and it's you know I don't know how many people read the typical academic article you know it's probably between it's probably in the single digits for a lot yeah, of them the study, <laughs> you know? actually there was a study the average is what there was a study that the average was study seven people seven seven yeah so single digits there you go single digits wow so yeah you get an average of seven people reading a, an academic article right or book I suppose maybe yeah. right um, it takes forever to get it published and, and you're, it's, just, it's a it's a weird thing, but it's something that, first of all, you most people have to do for tenure. Yeah. Right. It's it's a requirement, and there's this grueling peer review process a lot of times, right? Which is which actually can be really fun and can make your paper a lot better, but can also be. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Discouraging. Let's Torturous. put it that way. What's that? <laughs> Torturous. Torturous, yes, you know, and you know, it's it's God, it's so weird academic, book. but it's you know, it's one of those things. It's it's um, it's required of people, and and some academic writing is fun. Like what you're doing sounds kind of fun, actually. Yeah, it, I I try to do a lot of fun things because yeah, I'll get bored if I don't. <laughs> right, exactly. You get bored, and and especially with how long it takes to to do yeah. them. Sometimes it's it's hard. It's hard not to sometimes. Um, and uh, it's yeah, it's a strange thing. I have uh, on this podcast, I have uh, a couple of interviews with people who do self-publishing, and they talk about how quick it is, and how fast, and how you can change things and all that stuff. And I'm hoping to get someone on soon to to talk about maybe doing that inside academia. Yeah, I mean, I do. I don't do self-publishing, but I mean, I've now published several things in. Um, couple digital journals but also like a um, digital magazine uh, and so it's amazing like I remember getting the notice like yeah we'll get your article it'll be up uh, in a week I'm like wait what <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not prepared for this <laughs> yeah, so wait, wait wait you're not going to send it back to me with uh, you know <laughs> right, revisions yeah. no here are the revisions can you make these get them back by tomorrow because we want to put it up next week I'm like Ugh. <laughs> but I usually have you know seven years to think about these things or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. It's the other end of the spectrum, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the problems I have. Uh, I, I have had publishing uh, in, my, in my field because uh, doing I do digital media and that changes so quickly. Yeah. And by the time I get an article out, by the time it even goes to the peer review process, sometimes things have changed. Exactly. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Um, 
I wrote an article with uh, Jeff Prufnick, who I mentioned earlier, um, one of my professors, what, actually on my dissertation committee. He, he and I wrote an article. It took about two and a half years to finally get published, but we had to go back through and change terms. Like we had to change, we had the term PDA in there, and then we had to change it to BlackBerry, and I think we changed it finally to iPhone and finally to smartphone. So it was like interesting to see like how we had to go back and change that language, like just over the course of that short of amount of time. Oh, that's so, hilarious. Yeah. This is all pre-publication. Correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. Oh, Isn't my gosh. It? Yeah, it's crazy. I haven't done any strictly ad- academic writing in a long time because um, – partly because I don't have to because yeah. I'm, an, I'm a lecturer uh, at U of M Dearborn. There's no – there are no you – know, no, I'm not on a tenure track at the moment, and I'm not on the job market uh, because I think a lot of like, – that's the other difference that I've seen over the years is that people would get jobs in literature and those other fields with maybe an article and a couple conference presentations. And now I hear of people with, with books, book contracts, yeah. contracts, not getting jobs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not just tenure, but not getting jobs, you know? And I'm like, I don't know if I want to, I mean, it's a lot of effort to put forth, to be honest with you in the hopes of maybe getting a job. You know what I mean? No, completely. And it, yeah. Yeah, I don't have to have a book for a tenure here, um, but the expectation, like, part of me is like, well, what if I want to, you know, I kind of want to do a book. I mean, I am working on something like that, but I, I, I kind of, I, I think, like, what am I going to do? Like, what if I put all this effort into it and, like, I can't get a publisher? You know, yeah. so there's this, like, unknown, and maybe that's part of the part of the process, you know? We've had to be, like, kind of gutsy to go ahead and try, but it's still, I don't know, it's a lot of... It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. A lot yeah. of waiting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I agree completely. And the reward, it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't know why people write academic books unless they want, they need tenure or a job or something. Right. right. Yeah. You so know, you're not going to make money. You're not going to make money unless you're, completely passionate about the topic and all that. And that happens, you know, people are passionate about their topics, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Even Steven then, you know? Yeah. I feel like, I I feel like sometimes, um, uh, how should I put this? You know, I've been writing things that, that I, I want to publish, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to sell it, to make money or to entertain Mm -hmm. or to do things beyond like the academic stuff. And I feel like that's a sellout. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but you know, there's this kind of identity crisis going on because I'm like, Oh, I'm an academic. I have a PhD, you know, and all this stuff. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't feel like doing that. Do you ever have that feeling? Cause this happens to me often that, like, I'll think of, like, all these cool, like, I wish I could write, like, a really cool nonfiction book, like, just do, like, investigative journalism about mm-hmm. whatever. You know, like, I want to know more about this, you know, and just write something about it. So, and then yeah. I feel like, am I betraying what I should be doing? You know? I don't know. Yeah. It's a yeah, tough what will, what will people think? Uh, right. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's not academic. You can't do that. That's not a, you know, whatever, you know? Blah, blah, blah. It, I think you get more, there might be more leeway in, in your field, perhaps, than, than in some. But and, and to me, that just might be me internalizing uh, other <laughs> things. You know, it's probably completely manufactured on my part. No one cares. What does anybody care? Nobody cares what I do or anybody else does. You know, Like, I'm writing a memoir right now about graduate school. Oh, nice. I read your um, book about the defense that you... Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a, uh, a blog post about... Uh, 
how to defend. It was ten tips for defending your dissertation, right? And then I expanded it into a really, really small kind of book pamphlet sort of thing, right? Um, that I put on Amazon and other places and uh, offered on my website for free. You can go to ericmarshall.net. You can find that. But yeah, that was cool. That actually, the reason I did that was because that was the the single most visited page on my blog. Really. Yeah, my blog's been up for eight years, you know, yeah. uh, sometimes more, sometimes less in terms of frequency. But, um, and in fact, this podcast goes on the blog. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it goes on ericmarshall.net. It's got a subcategory. Um, but that was by far the most visited um, page on that. So I, that's why I made the book. And that's going to be part of the memoir as well. And as soon as the memoir is finished, I'm pulling that down uh, from Amazon because it's going to be part of the uh part of the memoir but that's been a challenging experience though because it's like how much personal stuff do I put in you know um uh, you know what do people care about what's important what's not you know like it's wanted to be informational but educational it's more therapy for me to be honest with you yeah yeah right my central question is what took me so long to finish my dissertation (laughs) like what was I doing instead yeah that's great I mean that's the book that people need you know? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because some of it's generalizable, right? Some of the stuff is like procrastination techniques that everybody does. Yeah. And some of it's peculiar to me, <laughs> as, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> that's <is, laughs> so, another podcast. Yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not, I can't go in the clean podcast, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like the question of like, how do I strike a balance between those things? And I have every intention of self-publishing, so I don't have to worry about edit. I'm going to hire an editor, but I don't have to worry about the peer review process. I don't have to worry about finding a publisher and waiting 18 months for someone to publish it or whatever, you know? Yeah. Nice. And that's, that's the beauty. And I think that's what we need in academia uh, because I'm not shutting the door in academia. I just haven't written anything lately. You know, I still am interested in doing academic articles because I still have that intellectual kind of curiosity and passion and, you know, and all that. But my, my challenge to, to, to academics out there and put to publishers out there is how do we get to, how can we get to a point where we are writing things that are relevant, where more than seven people read them, but where the, and where the publication time is faster. Yeah. Um, and where maybe you have more of the self-publishing ethos, but somehow build peer review into that or some kind of review process. Yeah. There are, I mean, there are some journals that are doing that, like enculturation, which is big in, um, rhetoric, uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, they do a really good time, job of turning over articles really quickly. Um, and this other journal, um, Present Tense, uh, another journal in, um, I can't remember the website for that. And, and occult, Enculturation just switched over. It might be enculturation.net, I think. I can send you the link. Uh, yeah. And Present Tense might be presenttense.net, although I can't remember. Um, okay. I'll put those in the show notes as well. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they both have rolling admission or rolling uh, submissions, and they'll publish those as they get them. And so that is one of the ways that they're one of the ways academic um, publishing is trying to address it. But it's still, I don't know, it's not being taken seriously on the back end. You know, because if you need to publish for tenure, for example, right. And some people don't see um, digital projects or, or digital publications as viable things, even though they are peer reviewed. And that's a problem. You know, so yeah. yeah, that goes back to the question that you had of speed and accuracy and um, just getting that information out is 
challenging and, and whether or not that information is um, like acceptable, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. I think people in your field in, in RETCOMP are, um, are on the cutting edge of that stuff. More than, so. more than anybody else. Yeah, I think you are. Um, and then there's you know the whole digital humanities thing. Like uh, yeah. I don't know if you know digital humanities now. They have an interesting model where there's a feed where it just kind of they hit they just pull from different feeds and it's just everything. But then there's like another level where it's kind of curated more, yeah. right? And then there's another level that becomes the magazine or whatever you want to call it, the journal yeah. itself. That is, you know, so it, there's a there's a continuous feed of articles or something that's more selective and there's this actual curated kind of thing. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that model works. I think the digital humanities and RETCOMP um, are, are doing a lot of that, but you hit the nail on the head because it's all about, will your tenure committee accept that? Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. Like you should yeah. be able to put this podcast on your CV and yeah. have that, you know, part of your, <laughs> well, 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 um, so, <laughs> well, you have to forgive me for the stupid acronym, the wet, you know, it's just, right. you know, it looks funny maybe, but, um, you can spell it out, you know, writing education technology. Right. So you don't have to, you know, have the innuendo, but, um, <laughs> or just the silliness of it. But you know, like, why wouldn't this, you know, you're, you're having a, semi-professional or a professional conversation, yeah. you know, with another academic, why wouldn't this? It just lasted be? longer than a conversation in a conference presentation. Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. I could, I could see a podcast where you do conference presentation, like someone would present an, uh, an essay or something. And then you have like a round table about it. That would be an interesting Academic cool. podcast. I'm not going to start it. <laughs> you guys can have that. It's free. There's a freebie if anyone wants to start. Yeah, there that. you go. Yep. <laughs> you know, it, you know, rolling like a weekly kind of like. Now we're going to talk about this one today, or you know, have people present and have the author on. Yeah. It would be cool. You know, why not? Why not? See, I'm full of ideas, Kim. You are full of ideas. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So. <laughs> But yeah, I do think you're on the cutting edge of that. But it's I think that uh, committees have to catch up, and yeah. and uh, and departments have to catch up, and that's I think that's where the where it gets a little tricky because I think it, it tenure requirements in a lot of places are getting more stringent and more book focused. Yeah. yeah. Precisely at the time when when academic publishers are getting underfunded. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think you know Steve Shaviro is probably a really good example of somebody who is so prolific, like writing on his blog. Is it just Shaviro.net or Shaviro? It's Shaviro.com. Yeah. But also publishes that stuff. So it's strange because it's available in the digital space so early. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we have, I almost said brick and mortar book, but <laughs> brick and mortar, <laughs> you know, this is a printed book. I mean, yeah. Physical yeah. atoms. Yeah. Yes. Atoms versus electrons or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of people use their blogs as like kind of, uh, sandboxes yeah. to, to play with ideas and then refine those into articles. I've done that in my blog. In fact, yeah, I think that's a really or, smart idea. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, he has a luxury and a way of being, well, a genius, Steve Schiller. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, that and, smart. Of somehow having, he seems to have more than 24 hours in a day. Yeah, I don't know where that from. Because <laughs> right. I'm always amazed by his productivity. <laughs> like all of a sudden he's like, I just wrote 10,000 words on this. I'm like, what? <laughs> 
and watch three movies today. <laughs> right, exactly. And read, a, and read a novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but he doesn't have the pressure, the same pressure, the tenure pressures, because he's That's already a, he's a senior yeah. professor, whatever whatever they call yeah. it. Um, yep. So we'll, I'll link to his site, too, for those that are, that are interested. I think anybody who, any academics that are listening to this probably already know who Steve, Steve Shapiro, but um, I would imagine. But, yeah, and but you can play with form that way, right? Some, like, some people do. I think Mackenzie Wark does that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people, like I said, in the digital humanities who are doing really interesting stuff. Uh, I think Jeff Prushnik, um I should invite onto this podcast actually um, is doing, I just thought of it just now. I should, you know, when you mentioned his name, I was like, Oh, that's someone I could, I could invite on. He does, he does very interesting work that is not strictly write a book, write an article. Right. He does a lot of stuff in digital spaces. Right. Okay. Yeah. There, there are the, there are ways to, ways to do this, I think, but I think that the institutions are lagging way, way behind. Completely agreed. Yeah. So, most of them are. I'm sure Saginaw Valley State is a bastion of uh, progressive uh, you know, <laughs> ideas and all that. So. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. you better say that if you're going to put this on your CV. <laughs> I am. Why not? I'm going to do it somehow. So you better say that. So. <laughs> so Say hi to your tenure committee, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, and, you know, you're one of the success stories, right? You're somebody who graduated at a time in 2011. The job market was probably at its very, very tightest. It was rough because I didn't get a job because I, I graduated without a job. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the job at Saginaw, and I was a I was a temporary position my first year here. Oh, you uh, were? Yep, yep. I got hired in June um, for that fall, uh, and so then I was a one year temporary. Um, but they had a tender trap job open up, and so I went through the whole job application and interview that whole deal again. And mm-hmm. I was really, really fortunate that I actually got the tenure track position. So it was like right time, right place. Uh, and often that's the case, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so there's good. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's the case, I think. And there's, and that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, you, you kind of keep putting yourself out there and then hopefully something mm-hmm. opens up. Right. Yeah. You yeah. never know. You never know. You no. never, never know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's my motto in life. You never know. What do you want to do? I don't know. You never know what's gonna happen. You never know. Yeah. yeah, that's how I feel about this podcast. You know, I'm like I'm just gonna invite people on, talk to them about interesting stuff. Perfect. See what happens. See what happens. You never know. You know. <laughs> so, and in this case, it was a good chance to catch up with an old friend. So it was. I'm so glad we did this. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, thanks again for, for that. Uh, do you have a digital space or identity that you want to guide people to if they want to get hold of you? Uh, uh, you can visit my website, um, KimberlyLacy.com, um, or you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Kim Lacy. You're Kim Lacy on Twitter? Okay, great. Um, and I can send you those links so you can. Yep, I will put those in the show notes as well as ericmarshall.net slash what. If you go yeah. there, this is episode number five. And yeah, I'll put all those links up there if you want to get a hold of Kim and check her out on Twitter and all that stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Kim. I really appreciate it. It's great to Thank talk you. to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really fun. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Wet Podcast. 
Again, I'm your host, Eric Marshall. You can find me on Eric, at ericmarshall.net or on Twitter at emarsh. And you can find the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you listen to the podcast. And I do appreciate reviews on uh, on those platforms uh, it helps keep us going thanks a lot bye